Oh, is that even? That's even. That's even better. A lot of girl power in there. You gotta be like. <laughs> this program is brought to you by the Provost Teaching Fellows at the University of Texas at Austin. James, I'm sorry. Hi, I'm sort of I'm sliding into being present right now. Because... All of all of this is being recorded. So. Oh, good. <laughs> She'll use it. <laughs> Michelle's trying to trick it with that stuff. I don't know if you noticed the last recording we did. I had specifically said, I hope you deleted that question that I asked. I did for rambling, but then she put me at the end saying, I hope you deleted. Because it's funny. It's heartwarming. Yeah, we're going for authenticity. It makes everybody love you more. That's the goal. All right. Like I say, every four years I'm popular. I'm a military kid. I'm an Air Force brat. I also write fiction and do other crazy stuff. Creativity is imbued in every single thing I do. I came here to be an aerospace engineer. How did you get interested in politics? Uh, I'm sorry, Stephanie. That's really none of anybody's business. Steeped in the same tea. Welcome to the other side of campus. Hi, I'm Stephanie Seidel Holmston, Associate Professor of Instruction in the College of Liberal Arts. And I'm Jen Moon, Professor of Instruction in the College of Natural Sciences. We're here today with a recent addition to our UT Austin family, Mr. James Butler. James Butler is the Mindfulness Campus Coordinator at UT Austin. James comes to UT after spending 18 years as an educator in the Austin Independent School District, with the last five years as the district's mindfulness specialist in the social-emotional learning department. He completed his undergraduate degree from Manchester University before going on to earn a master in education from Grand Canyon University. In his current role at UT, he works with student organizations, small groups of students, and faculty to bring mindfulness into the classroom. He aims to share mindfulness on campus through a healing and equity-centered lens with a focus on supporting students. James came to mindfulness to support his own mental health struggles and is passionate about mindfulness being accessible to all identities. James, welcome to the other side of campus. Thank you, Jen. Thank you, Stephanie. That was, that was an amazing intro. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you're kind of an amazing person, so it's easy. <laughs> that, made me feel, that made me feel nice. I appreciate that. <laughs> We're so excited to have you here. And we want to start with asking a little bit about how you came to the work. So you started this fall at UT after working 18 years in the public school system. And in fact, Stephanie and I were amusing that many faculty already know you from your work with their yeah, kids. Which is so cool. <laughs> so you are a familiar face to many of us already. So let's start at the beginning. And first of all, let's define what social emotional learning is. Yeah. So social emotional learning is really is focusing on like the whole student and paying attention to there's like the social aspect, just not just like their own social beings, but also the, you know, the kind of like socio-political context that that they're living in and, and just kind of the, the world that our, our students are living in. So paying attention to that and how that impacts each individual student and then leaning into just being honest about emotions and like what might come up given what's going on at home or what's going on in the world or what's going on in that in in that exact moment based on any given situation and really honoring where our students are at and where our students where they're at with their like with their brain development you know and just like really paying attention to to the whole the whole child and that well child being my my elementary uh, expertise but the whole student and really honoring that and that it's like our our students are more than just 
academics and you know it's academics obviously is incredibly important but there's there's more to there's more to our students than just that so yeah so that's something that i've always been passionate about when i started teaching kindergarten back in 2002 at Wynn elementary uh, here in austin and uh you know i really like got into the work i had an amazing fifth grade teacher that was really inspirational you mentioned in the intro that uh, you know, I like came into mindfulness because of some of my own mental health struggles. Um, you know, I was like diagnosed with de depression, anxiety, PTSD as a result of a tough childhood. And um, my fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Alcock, was just incredible. And just she saw me for who I was. And I was like, I want to be like her to all students. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so then, you know, became a teacher and like that philosophy of really paying attention to the whole student was really important and the whole student including my students families so getting to know my students families was really important to me as and like understanding where they're coming from especially if they had different lived experience from me um really like learning who they are and that if they had a different way of going about things that it didn't mean that it was wrong it was just a different way of living and it was really important for me to to honor that, especially myself being a white male and really just paying attention and, and, and listening and learning from, you know, diverse perspectives. You know, the real attentiveness in what you're describing just strikes me. The ability to not look out at a classroom of 80 students and just think second year students, period, but each and every one of them. I shared at the dinner table last night with my family that I'd be talking to James Butler. And so my children said, oh, Mr. Butler. So they remember you. They said, oh, he worked with kindergartners, right? And they started singing some sort of song about walking in somebody else's shoes. I don't know what that was, but you certainly provoked um, quite a response when I mentioned that. And so we talked a little bit about mindfulness. And right after potty training comes mindfulness. How is that possible? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, you know, if four and five, four and five year olds are, you know, like they're like sponges, they, you know, they really like take it up. And obviously they've got a lot of emotions happening. They're, you know, <laughs> they're very, but they're very, very young. They're still learning a whole lot and learning how to communicate all these, uh, all these things that are coming up. So, you know, just providing these tools to them was, was really helpful and just like very simple breathing techniques. And what I learned is that I was like, you know, I, I received some pushback like, oh, well, you know, you're just a pre-K teacher. You're just a kindergarten teacher. Like, yeah. And, you know, of course they can do it because, you know, they'll listen to anything. But when I became the mindfulness specialist and I got to work with like middle school and high school students and and teachers and staff, you know, just I was sharing very, very similar strategies, but just kind of altering the messaging a little bit about dealing with stress and dealing with changes and dealing with transitions and like and how just having a, a just a very brief practice, something you do consistently can help you just navigate those things much more clearly so that we're not, you know, we're not like the amygdala is not taking over constantly and making it so hard to make the simplest decision of like, <laughs> should I, you know, should I have like 
a granola bar or a cracker right now and then just like melting down because we can't figure out which one to do, you know, like, you know, so just giving these little strategies and and making it person personalized and individualized, um, you know, like they really bought in and they were they were really into it. You know, because as, even as you describe that, I must admit, sometimes I think of mindfulness as a response to stress something, a tool that we would use to de-stress. And I think of kindergartners and I think, are they stressed? How, how, what is the context that you're working with pre-K and kindergartners around mindfulness? With pre-K and kindergartners, their brain is like very much developing. So figuring out how to navigate those, like those difficult things, like when somebody, you know, walks up to you and and takes away your Darth Vader Lego yeah, character yeah. that you were just playing with. <laughs> Tragedy, right? Tragedy. <laughs> yes. It feels like the end of the world. So, <laughs> um, and that, and in that moment, that's valid. And so giving, you know, having those strategies, I had this one kid one time, that exact situation happened. Somebody, somebody yanked the Darth Vader, Darth Vader Lego character and he started screaming and wailing, having a big old meltdown. And instantly sat down and started breathing and was like quivering and breathing. And mind you, he was sitting in a pile of Legos doing this. <laughs> we all know what it likes, what it's like to like step on Legos. Like it does not feel good. He just sat in a pile of Legos and started breathing because he knew because we did it every day that this helped him feel more calm. So, yeah, just... <laughs> Before Stephanie, before you, can I just jump in here? I got to say, this is, I've told James this story already, but I think it's very funny as a testament to how influential this practice is. So my kids went through the the SEL program at their school that James had, had developed and I was very stressed. I came home from work. I don't know what the heck was happening, but whatever. I was stressed out and I was kind of short with the kids. And my daughter <laughs> picks up my hand and goes, I think we need to practice some focused breathing. And she literally walked me through <laughs> a five-step breathing program where I traced my fingers up and down and, and patterned my breaths accordingly. And then she's like, do you feel better? <laughs> and I was like, I'm being taught mindfulness by my eight-year-old. But the power of this, the power of this is amazing. It's not only you teach the kids, but the kids are teaching their parents. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, it strikes me that it's a practice, right? It's a habit. And so why not introduce a habit at a very early age, right? And that sort of modeling. I can remember a teacher of mine doing something and as she must have been a math teacher or science teacher or something, right? It wasn't my social science class that taught me this, but it was about sort of relaxing. And and I wonder sometimes if you're inviting all of us to model those practices in any class, right? Anywhere. Anywhere. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> obviously it's nice if you can start it when you're four or five, you know, but it doesn't have to be like I started when I was 31. I would have loved to have all of these practices in college. Like when I when I got to college, when I went to Manchester for undergrad, it was the first time that I kind of like started thinking about like the stuff that happened to me as a kid and how it might be impacting me. But I didn't have like strategies and like how to process that. And it, it just it would have been so incredibly helpful. So I think, you know, honestly, you know, I think starting or introducing or just supporting practices for our students here at UT 
can be just as beneficial because they're starting to come into their own as like who they are, who they're, you know, who they are as adults um, and giving them tools to deal with that, that in and of itself is very hard. (laughs) You know, I think that sometimes we forget like the, you know, the, the more that we kind of like are into our professions and into our own adulthood that like that transition from like leaving home um, and going to school is really, really challenging. And it's a lot to take in. And like the brain is also still developing, you know, up until like 25. So considering all that, providing these opportunities for daily practice is, 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 is just as important, I think, as, as introducing it to, to four-year-olds. So, you know, we briefly talked about your work at the public school system. And then as we're talking now about college students, you, you talked earlier about the similarities, meaning like a lot of the strategies are the same. You just sort of package them a little differently. And we talked about this idea of stress and and that kindergartners and college students experience stress. It doesn't matter what the trigger is, but the response might be similar. Is there anything else that you might highlight that are similar between these two populations that at, at, at first sight seem very distinct, you know, kindergartners and college students. What other things that you've found that are quite similar between those two groups in terms of mindfulness? I would say, honestly, I would say the, the curiosity. I've, I've, I've noticed a lot of curiosity uh, with, with our students here at UT about like, you know, what can I do? What does this, what does this look like? You know, I've heard of this word, um, you know, but, and I kind of like, you know, like I was with a class yesterday and like every student could define it, could tell me what it means. Um, which was really cool. <clears throat> and now it's just kind of like, how do we build it into the practice? So um, the curiosity, I would say like the curiosity is also similar. And that's, that's really, really exciting. And I think it's also a, a testament to, you know, like mindfulness being shared, you know, it's becoming more and more common. I mean, it's been happening here at UT for decades in the Counseling and Mental Health Center, in, you, you know, like integrated health, university health systems, in in random faculty members' classrooms, you know, like doing little mindful moments. So I think all of that is having an, an impact to where we're at right now. So that curiosity can be like kind of like capitalized on and, you know, given given the strategies. James, could you walk us through a mindful moment in a college classroom? Yeah. Um, I mean, a simple, a simple mindful moment is just kind of like feeling your feet on the ground. So just taking your left foot, lifting it up, putting it down, taking your right foot, putting it down and taking a nice breath in through your nose and out through your mouth. And then just looking around your space and kind of orienting yourself, noticing doors, noticing windows, noticing things that you see. Maybe smiling at somebody, somebody close to you, if you're, you know, either on Zoom or in person. Just something as simple as that and just like bringing yourself to the present moment and grounding yourself. And also a lot of what I do is based in like impacting the brain and the nervous system because I myself use it for my own mental health. And that's really, really important to me. So orienting yourself in your surroundings is is something that can help our amygdala like calm down and kind of ease our amygdala because it's always 
It's our brain's watchdog. It's always looking out for danger. So I've learned in my my community yoga certification class is that when you look around and orient orient yourself in your surroundings, it actually eases the amygdala, that like watchdog. So it's not like as active. So that can allow our, you know, our brain, our prefrontal cortex, your executive functions, which we need to learn to our fullest capacity to be more active. So something is just as simple as that to start a class can be can be really beneficial. Wow, and amazing just even as you were doing that, describing that, right? I'm doing it too and you just you feel it. It's a physical practice. It's looking around and yet it has this really important emotional impact to it and well, I don't have a degree in psychology, but maybe I don't have to be a psychiatrist to invite somebody to have some mindfulness. Right. You don't have to have a certain level of of certification or anything to do this in class to just invite offer a one minute practice. What I what I like about it, too, is that it's it's something that feels accessible for me to run as a faculty member. You know, sometimes I have I had a lot of anxiety and hesitation about doing some of this last year because I worried that students would be like, this is hokey. This is ridiculous. Right. But I will tell you what's and I have all pre-med students that are all very, very keen on being like medical doctors and going into science and very strict about how they think about things. They were all 100 percent open to it. In fact, many thanked me for doing it. I mean, you know, you can go however you want, but simply orienting your body in a space is very easy to do. You know what I mean? So I love that about it. I love the practicality of it. And I will say from experience, the students appreciated having gone through it. They, I, was, I was kind of amazed by their response. That's awesome. I would also add that for faculty to try it out yourself, because obviously like teaching right now at a university <laughs> is extremely challenging and can bring about great stress, not just for yourself, but holding the stress that your students are bringing to you. Having a, some type of practice for yourself, even if it's something simple as just feeling your feet on the ground, orienting yourself, taking a few deep breaths. And then when you're doing this with your students, just say it like you're doing it for yourself. You don't have to, it, there's, it doesn't have to be this like exact script, doing the experience for yourself and then modeling that and being like, hey, this is something that I do every morning when I, when I get up or, you know. Modeling that, like that vulnerability, I think is is really good for connection as well. You know, the other thing you've done in this conversation too, James, is naming that. So trauma, using the words from your own experiences with depression, for example, opening class with, and not that we want to live into and make it hard by naming it as hard, but sometimes just saying, this is a busy time of the year. This is a strange semester. I've got half of you on Zoom and half of you in person, and I've never done this before. Those moments, too, of just naming it, has got to be powerful, right? So powerful. So powerful. Yeah, there's a, a, a quote that I love from Dr. Dan Siegel, who's a neurologist and author, studies mindfulness a lot, who says, name it to tame it. And when you name what's going on, it helps, especially those strong emotions, those strong feelings that are having a, like a big impact on us. Just naming it can help take the edge off of it a little bit, which sometimes that's all that's all we need to start to, to move through it. We are sort of as a society always looking at our phones. Not, maybe not a fair characterization for everybody. We have a lot of distractions. 
what sorts of challenges do you think college students are facing today when you're talking to them about mindfulness? I mean, I would I would say a lot of it is like kind of like over feeling like overloaded with with work and not really like feeling like they have the time to get that done and also be, you know, like a college student and have the college experience and like and be the, you know, social beings that they are, that we all are. So I would think I think that, like that's that's a big thing that's that's come up in interactions with students. <laughs> and honestly, some a lot of students have been like, can you get faculty to share this, to share some mindfulness um, like in class? And then also, can you get faculty to practice for themselves so that they also understand where we're coming from? <laughs> So just keeping that in mind. And I think just living and going to school in the middle of a pandemic, I mean, you know, like it's not over. Been in it for three school years now. So I think that that is, you know, a lot of our students are coming to us having not had like traditional senior year or having their senior year cut off, you know, and then having their like their first year college experience be virtual. There's there's a lot going on. So I think just understanding that and, you know, and, and leaning into that. And obviously, you know, faculty all have like there's a lot to cover and everything. But I think just understanding where our, where our students are, are at and what they're kind of experiencing in this time of their life. James, thank you for that. I have, I have a question that's completely off script, actually. And that is I was talking to a colleague the other day about we understand that students, well, all of us are kind of in this tumultuous time. We're trying to do the best in terms of our course structure to allow for a little bit of flexibility and, and grace and so on. OK, totally fine. But I don't want to give them everything. I want to make sure I'm upholding some standards. But instead of like lowering the floor, just allowing them to have the tools to handle when things don't go their way. You know, like, yeah, they get a C. That's okay. You're going to get C sometimes. Figure out how to handle it emotionally, first of all, because that's the biggest thing. And then get back into it. That's actually, I think, a more a skill that that's going to help them in future because their way is not always going to be paved. We're doing our best now. But, you know, like, where's that balance? You know what I'm saying? You know, the first thing that comes to mind is just sitting down and like and talking with students and like and having like this exact conversation and being like, I want I still want to challenge you because I think that this is still like an, an important time of your life. And like, that's a huge part of why you're here at the University of Texas. Like and also how can we be flexible to get everything that needs to be get done? And also having those real conversations like if you get a C, it is OK, <laughs> because I think a lot of a lot of our students because it's a very like high achieving, like you have to have amazing grades to get into UT and like amazing test score, like is not an easy school to get into. So how many of our students have heard it's okay if you get a C? If you get a C, like how can you move through that? How can you learn from that? And what can you, you know, like reflect on with regards to like, you know, what was your, what was your approach? And, you know, just kind of like having that be a part of the learning process as well, I think would be, would be huge. And I know there's a good percentage of faculty that are really into this and really want to be there for our students and, and listen and just like, how can we expand that for, for more and more faculty? But I, you know, listening for, listening to students and then just like naming things like if you get a C, it's not a failure. It's an opportunity to grow and just kind of like, you know, trying to frame it like that. 
Yeah, that's such a good question, Jen, and a challenge I hear in a variety of spaces. And this sense also as a faculty member that, you know, you you face those CIS scores at the end of the day. And if you ask students to feel uncomfortable because that assignment is different or challenging and there's that kind of need to push against that assignment, you know, in some ways that makes teaching harder, right? It takes more time. It takes those conversations. And there's maybe a little bit of sort of incentive to just divert from that really challenging, uncomfortable space because that does take more time and attention. It's hard, right? Yeah. And I think that that's a big part of reason why having just like a moment at the beginning of class, something that's consistent, that kind of like sets the tone, not just for the learning and the teaching that's about to happen, but the the connection for those difficult conversations. You know, if like if our students are feeling connected to us, we can have much, much more difficult conversations than if our students feel like they're we're out to get them. So that start of the class is not just to like help kind of orient ourselves and get our brains you know, ready. It's also to build that community and to build that trust. So tell me a little bit about your vision for how you hope your work impacts the university. What do you hope to achieve in your tenure here? Yeah, I would just I would love for our students and faculty and staff to have some type of like personal practice that's consistent, that's maybe even just a couple minutes a day, and that is in line with who they are and do it consistently so that it's easy to access. It builds it into our brains if we're doing it every day. You know, just like when we when we're with little kids and you're like having a meltdown, you're like, just take a deep breath. Just breathe. I am breathing, you know, like because they're not used to practicing it. So it's similar. It might come out a little bit different in college students, but it's a it's a similar, similar impact when you do it consistently. So it doesn't have to be this like special mindfulness event or a special mindfulness class. It's just happening everywhere, like at the beginning of faculty meetings, at the beginning of a staff meeting. We at, at the Longhorn Wellness Center, we start every meeting now with a mindful moment. It's just a couple minutes, you know, so just really just trying to weave it weave it throughout the whole the whole university. Yeah, make it part of our culture. And this is just the expect is how you start class. You take a moment, you breathe for or you do a thing. And God, what an amazing group of people graduating from this university every year with having that practice already in their back pocket. That would be an incredible outcome. Uh, Yeah, I think of our students and I think of faculty meetings. Imagine if we took a breath. Might I hear other people differently if I have collected myself a bit? Will I be more attuned to my environment? You know, not only this space, but also the other people. I might be better in faculty (laughs) meeting if I had taken a mindful moment. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, Jen's like, yeah, definitely. Stephanie, be sure. (laughs) I didn't mean it like that. (laughs) That's all right. That's all right. Called out. That's okay. So, you know, there is a way, James, in which, you know, I hear you talking and obviously, right, you're you're describing these practices and you're passing these practices along to everybody else. And so it's sort of like, you know, you have achieved nirvana, like always in this mindful moment. But my guess is we all have spaces to grow. Me, you know, what, I do. What, <laughs> what are you working on now? Sort of where's your edge right now? Yeah, I mean, I'm coming from uh, a system where I was... I was in it for 18 years and I like really understood it and I like knew a lot of people and I had connections with a lot of people and like I had community with a lot of people and I kind of understood like 
the ins and outs, like what to do, what not to do. <laughs> and I don't know that now, y'all. <laughs> am, And AISD is a big system. It is nothing like UT. <laughs> so I am, I'm learning a lot in, in just kind of like how things just take much, much longer and how like I need to prepare much more like in a, ahead of time. And, you know, and then when I, I notice that when if I'm not prepared ahead of time, and this is something that's just kind of like, I think is, is pretty normal. But when I start feeling rushed, then I'm like not, I'm not as clear minded. I'm not as like grounded in the practice that I'm trying to teach about. <laughs> so it kind of like, it doesn't look great. <laughs> You're like this mindfulness guy needs to take some deep breaths. <laughs> but oftentimes in those situations, I am also like maybe sometimes to a fault. I'm really good at naming stuff and like, oh, technology, y'all. This is really good opportunity for mindfulness. Yeah. So I think that's that's a really big growth edge for me right now. And just kind of like finding who I am at the university, you know, like I identified as a pre-K to 12th grade public school educator for 18 years, you know, so trying to find myself and find my place here at UT, which I, I feel very, like I have felt very welcomed, Jen, like you were very instrumental in that. And just our couple conversations and you inviting me to your classes was, was huge, you know, so I'm just, I'm still kind of like learning and, and trying to kind of like find my way here and, you know, and trust that I, I have valuable skills that I can that I can share and also there are a ton of amazing people to learn from all the students y'all faculty and staff like oh it's so cool there's so much to learn we definitely share that sentiment about learning from each other and this is one of the big reasons why we wanted to do this podcast is so we had an opportunity to sit down and actually take time and learn from each other so such a such a delight to have you here and when you said you know, you're trying to find your space. I think so many new faculty each year have exactly those thoughts and are right there with you trying to figure out who they are in this new environment. It's, you know, very stressful starting a new job, but wow, what an incredible asset to UT that you are a member of the team and, and all of that you have to offer. So we're, we're so delighted to get a chance to talk to you and that you're here to share your expertise with us. I'm so excited that y'all that y'all do this podcast. I need to listen. I need to I need to catch up and just and keep listening cuz these are like it's I don't know. I just I really love what y'all are doing. Can I advertise y'all on the website? Oh, please do. Cuz there's some really good folks. Like we've had some great. Well, all of them have been great, but some of them have really focused on this idea of nurturing students and creating a, you know, inclusive environment and, you know, that kind of thing, taking care of the whole student. There's some really great, particularly great recordings. And I'm trying to, off the top of my head, we can send you a list of folks that like specifically talked about that. But yeah. It also makes me think that the section where we share stories, so the guest shares, there is something so nurturing. So this podcast really grew out of COVID. It was because we all went home and we missed the chances to randomly bump into somebody we didn't know very well. When we take on other people's stories, I think it just really enriches us, makes us more attentive to our own stories, our own journeys. We see ourselves, as you're suggesting, James, right? Not as this moment in this person, but but this whole building of where I've been and who I've become along the way. And, and those personal stories from other people, I think, was a really centering practice 
for me during COVID. And I think of the folks that we talked with, folks that are specifically focused, as you're suggesting, on sort of mental health, aerospace faculty members, faculty members all across the university. I mean, everybody's got a story. And as you were describing the sense of like, who are in those individual students? Who are those individual faculty? And what brought us here? And we shouldn't assume that story. And it's really fascinating to hear the details of them. I mean, I think it goes back to that community care and just we were yanked from each other and we're social beings. Like we're wired to be together, not apart. I think hearing those stories is probably a really, they filled that, a bit of that hole that was, that was left. And I think at the, I think at the same time, James, like from this whole conversation that we've had, the moment that's crystal clear for me is that moment that you modeled and invited Jen and me to be mindful. That was a powerful moment. Thanks for that. Thank you so much. Can I, can I plug our stress strategy? Yeah, yeah I was just going to say our last question was like, is there anything else you'd like to share? Go for it. Yeah, please. I'm doing weekly drop-in classes on Wednesdays uh, from 12 to 12.30, Thursdays 4 to 4.30 called Strategies for Stress Management. Some feedback I did get from students, again, learning and listening to students is don't use the word mindfulness in the title because <laughs> it's getting so trendy that it's becoming a thing like, I don't know, but I don't really know if that's for me. But stress management, everyone can relate to that. So <laughs> always applicable. <laughs> yes, that's going to be a big, a big focus is that like we're going to do a little bit in these classes. We're going to do some techniques and some strategies. But part of each class will be like setting intentions. What are you going to do for the rest of this week? What, what are you set an intention for yourself? Even just like two minutes a day. What's something you're going to do so we can start to like build it into into our routines? Because like I feel like I've said like 700 times during this podcast that daily that daily practice, you know, is is huge. Building it into our habits. That's how that's that's when the real impact happens. Well, here I am sucking on my cup of coffee and I'm thinking I think of all the daily habits we have, right? A cup of coffee checking my phone for various things, right? We have all, opening email. We have all these routines. Why not add one that actually nurtures our ability to be sort of present in the moment? Mm -hmm. Or just weave mindfulness into it. Like with your coffee, when you take a sip, like really notice the flavors, notice like the different, what it tastes like at the front of your tongue versus the back of your tongue. Like what it tastes like on like each, the, notice the temperature, you know, just, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be added. But thinking of what you're already doing, thinking of how you can be more mindful while you do that. I can totally buy into that. Sipping coffee with intention. Yes. There you go. I'm there for it. It's <laughs> <laughs> great. Well, thank you so much. This has been wonderful. Thank you all. Thank you, Jen. Thank you, Stephanie. I really, really appreciated this. It's, it's an honor to be to be on the other side of campus. <laughs> It's nice. a pleasure to have you here. <laughs> All right, good. That's a that's a wrap right there. Yeah, thanks. That was great. I think we did a great job, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> that's a nice way to end it, right? We did a great job. We did yes. a good job. I mean, all of us in the room, not just <laughs> you guys, plural. <laughs> You've been listening to The Other Side of Campus, a production of the Provost Teaching Fellows at the University of Texas at Austin. Our executive producer is Mary Newberger. Our producer is Michelle Daniel. And our music and sound design are by Charlie Harper Music at charlieharpermusic.com. For more information, please visit us online at texasptf.org. We hope you'll join us next time on the other side of campus. Thank you. 
Yeah, I like that conversation at the end. You know, I think we pulled a lot out of there, and I think having him in the room, even for the debrief, was kind of fun. So yeah, I'm good. Let's, yeah, let's let's call it. Maybe Michelle can work. Michelle, you can work your magic. Work your magic right here and make that cool. 